This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So today's subject is the what's and why's. Um, I hope that the shir today will be a, a game changer, a life changer. So we're going to go, Pastor Shmos. We're going to talk about a lot about Moshe Rabbeinu, um, what it means to be a leader, how he became a leader, and that'll lead us into the to the what's and the why's. Okay, so we'll start with Perik Bay's. In Shmos, Vayelech Ishmi Beis Levi, they had a child, Vatero Yisrael Kitoivu, actually the Medjah says that they named him Tuvya, and they couldn't hide him anymore. So the Pasuk says the following, Vatosem Ba Esayelech, they put the child into the, to the basket, into the table. Where did they put, where, where did Miriam put him? Vatosem Ba Suf. And she put him in the yams, in the, in the, in the Nile, on the banks of the Nile. Okay? That's where she put him. We know Miriam stood far away, stood to see what's going to happen. And she saw the table in the middle of the Nile. Now, everyone here knows that Miriam was three years older than Aaron, Aaron was three years older than Moshe, so she was six years old. So a six-year-old girl, the length of her arm, I don't know, maybe it's a foot and a half, maybe two feet. So this whole story that Basparo came down to the Yamsuf, put her hand out, says Rashi, and it stretched and it stretched and it stretched until the middle, until the middle of the Nile, Right, it had to stretch with a miracle. How to get to the middle of the Nile? She was, her arm was only two feet long. So the pussy tells us that she put it as how you are. It makes sense. She could have put it in the middle of the Nile. She's a little teeny girl. She didn't throw him in the middle of the Nile. So the pussy tells us that she put him on the edge of the Nile. But then when Basparo comes down, it says she's beside him. So it seems to be that Hashem took this basket, this table, and on purpose sent it to the middle of the Nile so that he would do a miracle that her arms should stretch and she'd be able to... It doesn't make any sense because HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't do miracles unless they're necessary. So just leave the basket, leave the, the table at the edge of the Nile and she'll come down and pull it out. You have to make a miracle. It's hands and stretch. Got some ices. I remember as kids, you know, there was this show called Gumby, whatever... This little thing that you could stretch him, his head, his his arms, his legs, right? So as a kid, when I was learning this, I was like, she was like Gumby. She put her arm out and just kept going. Why? Why? She didn't. He didn't need a miracle. Why? Why would he let it float there? In other words, it could have just stayed. It could have stayed there. It wasn't that long that it was there because Miriam was watching. It wasn't like the next day. So I don't know if the Nile has has waves or not. But for it to go from the Svas, Betoich, so Kodesh Baruch you're going to make a miracle, do something that's nister that no one even knows, just keep it there, no wind, no nothing, whatever it is. And even, even, even if Hashem made a miracle to make someone's arm stretch, Kodesh Baruch could have brought a wind from the Seich, right, in the middle of the Nile, bring a wind and blow it to the, what is, what's this, why did her arm have to stretch? It seems to be, that even though the, 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 the basket was at the edge, Hashem had to put it all the way into the middle so he could do this miracle. For some reason, 
Her hand had to stretch. Not a wind blowing it in, not leaving it where it is. We'll see soon. Okay? She opens up the... And she sees the child. And everyone knows. So it's, first it says a yell at a baby. And then it says now a teenager. Right? So there's all kinds of midrashim that he had a voice of a young man and he was crying for Klai Yisrael's pain. But there's a very beautiful, very beautiful word on this. She saw, she opened it up and she saw Moshe Rabbeinu, the baby. was not him. But she also heard a young man, a young voice, not a baby's voice, but a young voice crying. Who was that? That was Aaron Akrayim. He was also watching to see what was going to happen with his brother. She had Rachmanis on Aaron. This boy that's crying, not Moshe, because Moshe had a bris. And by the way, it's not a proof that he was a Jew. Because from Yosef HaTzadik's time, every mitzri had to have a bris. So her opening up and seeing a bris didn't mean that it was a Jew. But she had, she had Rachmanis on this boy that's crying. She said, if a boy is crying for a baby, it must be a Jew. They must both be Jews. The one that's crying and the one he's crying for must be Jewish. It's a very big lesson. This was, of course, Aaron Akoyen, this week's Pashas, last week's Pashas Tetzava, Aaron Akoyen, who has a little teeny boy, we'll speak about this a little bit, the little teeny boy was already crying. We see this whole family. Miriam was crying, that's why they waited seven days for her. Aaron was crying, right? We see how, how they were brought up, that they, this, it was so important to them. And why was Aaron crying? Aaron was crying, right? When was he crying? He was saved, Moshe Benin was saved. You're crying when your your brother's lost out in the middle of the ocean. You think he's going to die, but now Moshe, but Aaron saw that this woman take him out. Oh, not a reason to cry. It's a reason to be happy. No, she's a guy. She's a bas paro. My brother, who was born kitoiv, is being taken by a by a guy by a princess, even though he was only three years old. He was crying. Okay. Here's the reason that a kodesh baruch had to make this miracle. So he stopped nursing. But they brought him back to the to the daughter of Paro, to the king's house. She adopted him as a child. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason we were saved out of Mitzrayim, there were three reasons. We didn't change our clothing, the way we dressed. We didn't change our names. We had all Hebrew names. And we didn't change our language. So you're telling me that the leader of Israel was the only one in Egypt that was an Egyptian name. His Hebrew name was Tuvia. He had other six other names. The Torah is telling us that who named him? The daughter of Pharaoh. His name was Moshe. So she gave him a name because she pulled him out of the water. So the one Jew that had a Goyesha name or a name by, from, by an Egyptian was our leader. And that's the name the Torah to- chose. So that answers the whole question. Because to be a leader of Kla Yisrael, to be a leader... To be a game changer, to be someone who makes a difference, 
you got to put your hand out even when it doesn't look like you can do anything. And that had to be in his name. A person's name is who you are, and that's why after 120 years, when you go to Shemayim and you have an ID, your ID is your Pasuk, your name is who you are, it's your essence. And how you get that name, as we know, is all in our Shemayim. So HaGadosh Baruch Hu had to put that basket in the middle of the water and make a miracle that, that she, her arm would stretch and it would be a miracle because in Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the leader of Klai who was the Rebbe of Klai there had to be intrinsically in him this midah of even though, I can't do this, it's too, they're too far out, they're too beyond help. you got to put your hand out. Hashem has to do the rest. You can only put your hand out. In fact, there's one big tzaddik that said on this, Something very beautiful. He said, if you think that there's a miracle that her hand stretched to the middle of the Nile, it's a bigger miracle that you could put your hand out. We take all this for granted. For your brain to send the message to the nerve center, to the muscles. Someone has a stroke. They can't put their hand out. You can do whatever you want. They can't put their hand out. So he said, he said that you think, we think, the nice nigla, she put her hand out and stretched. That she could put her hand out that it could stretch is just as big. But we don't realize that. But that had to be in Moshe Rabbeinu's name. Moshe Rabbeinu's name had to be, you never ever give up. Even if the child looks like he's so off the derrick, he's so far out, what can I do? I'm not Rabbi Wallerstein, I'm not in Kirov, I'm not a Rebbe, I'm not this, I'm not that. You know, Chazit, as they say in, in Syria, you know, Nebuch, Rachmanis, so look at this kid, Ay Vey, Rachmanis. So many people walk around, they say, Ay Nebuch, look at this family, they have a kid off the derrick. And Syrians say, Chazit, this child is off the derrick, Ay Nebuch. But they don't put their hands out. You just walk by. You don't do anything. But I can't. I'm not a Rebbe. I'm not this. She wasn't either. She wasn't a miracle maker. She was the daughter of Paro. But you know what? She put her hand out. She said, I don't know. That kid's all the way out there. There's, there's a basket out there. She put her hand out. That's all she did. And you know what her reward is, everybody? Her reward is that she was one of the few that went to Ganeidin alive. What did she do? She was Sari Meino, she was Rivka, she was Rachel and Leah. What, what, what did she do? What did she do to go get in a line? Bas Paro. She's the Bas Paro. And the answer is, if you look in, and, and the Zayar says this, it says because she saved the leader of Klaistro. But she didn't know that the leader of Klaistro was in that little basket. So Shitaka ended up saving the leader of five of them. She had no idea. She knew the baby is something out there that shouldn't be out there. But she put her hand out. So we don't know when we smile, when we give someone a good vote, when we help somebody, we don't know who that person is going to become. We have no idea. But look at that. For putting her hand out, she went to Ganeidin alive. The Imaj didn't go to Ganeidin alive. And that's why Hashem had to make this miracle. Because Moshe Rabbeinu's name had to be Moshe. And if he would have been just at the side of it, she wouldn't have named him Moshe. She was like, I pulled him out. I pulled him out. I put my hand out. And that was his name. And that is, that Koyach is brought down in Svarim that you cannot learn Torah. No person can learn Torah unless he has a Nitzutz. Tamim and Hagen brings this down. Unless you have a Nitzutz of Moshe Rabbeinu. Every Jew has a Nitzutz in his Neshama. Uh, a DNA marker of Moshe Rabbeinu, or you cannot learn Tyra. So each one of us has a Nitzitz of Moshe Rabbeinu. Each one of us has this Kimena Mayim Each one of us, because because a person who learns Tyra knows that sometimes it's not reachable. You have a Kasha, and you can't answer it. It's not reachable. Hashem says, try, work, learn it over another ten times, another hundred times. Put your hand out. 
I'll, 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 I'll give you the siyat of the Shemaya. That's in his name. That's in all of us. That's the mitzvahs that we all have in, in, in order to learn Torah. Never to say, I can't do anything. I, I don't know how. You have to put your hand on it. A lot of people in here know that. That there were things you thought in life you could never accomplish. Right? You can't accomplish anything. Nobody here can accomplish anything. Hashem has to do the accomplishment. Right? It's not for you to finish the job. The finishing the job, being successful, it's not up to you. You gotta try. Ella says the Mishnah, you gotta try. You gotta start. You gotta start the job. She put her hand out, she started the job. Okay. So that's in Moshe Rabbeinu's DNA. Okay, let's go a little bit further. He was a shepherd. And he's in the midbar. He's pretty much done with human beings. And by Yeramalach Hashem Eilah, and the Malach appears in this, in this bush, right? Fire. Moshe Rabbeinu sees this, the, the, the bush is burning, but it's not burning. So what Moshe Rabbeinu says, and this is the making of a leader, Asuruna, let me turn. Let me not just keep going. There's something going on over here that's not normal. That, that I have to stop. Now comes the big word. This is the whole shit is based on let me see this amazing thing that's going on over here. I'm sure a lot of people walk by and say, wow, it's amazing. Fire and it's not burning. Okay, there's probably some magician or some, I don't know, whatever they're doing over here to make it look like it's burning, but it's not really burning. Listen, they make elephants disappear. They, make, they do all kinds of stuff, right? So, so people walk by. But he said the following, this is the biggest word. Madua. Lo yivahasne. Why isn't this bush burning. There's a fire and the leaves are still green. Why isn't it burning? So a lot of people, when they see they see kids at risk or even in their family, they see stuff. I'll tell you a story that just happened yesterday. Things always happen around when I'm going to speak. Right? Because I guess it's supposed to be something that I have to give over. But Moshe Rabbeinu stopped, looked, and he said, Why? I need to know the why, not the what. Now, now I have been talking about this for the longest time to therapists, to everybody. Everybody's busy with the what. My kid's depressed. My kid's not keeping Shabbos. Her skirt is short. He's not dabbing in shul correctly. He's watching stuff on the internet he shouldn't be watching. He's addicted to this. He's addicted to that. That is not the problem. That is a symptom that there is a problem. That is the what. What? Off the derrick. What? The shortest skirt. She's wearing a, What? He's watching something. She's like, what? Not keeping Shabbos. That's all what. What? He's addicted to drugs. He's addicted to porn. He's addicted to gambling. He's addicted to this. He's addicted to this. Addiction's a huge word today. The addiction is not the problem. The problem is why. Fix the why. All the what's go away. Fix the what. The why never goes away. You're just busy with the what? The perfect example is someone goes to a doctor, says, Doctor, I have fever. Doctor says, Oh, fever? Take Tylenol. Next day comes back to the doctor, Oh, my head is busting. All right, no problem, take Motrin. Third day, Oh my gosh, I have a crazy rash. Hmm, I don't know if they still have this, but as a kid, put on calamine lotion. You know, you look like an Indian, that, that orange stuff, right? Now I think they have cortisone cream, right? Put on calamine lotion, cortisone. So this guy's now popping 
Tylenols, Motrins, and he looks like a, a, an Apache Indian. Right? Next day, he comes back to the doctor. I'm going to the bathroom every two minutes. Like, hey, take some kale pectate. <laughs> right? So, right? And very bad doctor. Because all the doctor had to do was take a strep culture. Because those are all symptoms of strep. And if he would take a strep culture, he would have given that person a six-pack, right, of antibiotics, and within five, six days, all the symptoms are gone. But if you continue to treat the symptoms of, of strep, what happens is the strep ends up in your blood, and the next thing you have is rheumatism, a very bad arthritic rheumatism that comes from the strep. And if you still don't hit it with heavy antibiotics, it goes to your heart, and you're dead. Strep can kill you if it gets into your blood and then it gets into your heart. So this doctor is killing his patient because all he's doing is he's treating the symptoms. Just give him an antibiotic and all the symptoms go away. We're very busy in the psychology world, in the chinuch world, in the world we're very busy with the symptom. Oh my gosh, her short, her skirt is getting shorter. That's not the why. That's the what. So you're going to go speak and you're going to get it to wear longer. She's going to start listening to not, not Jewish music. Then she's going to, you're just going to be hopping and popping like this doctor and you're never going to get to the source that there's something very wrong. I mean, Mama's going to give me an example that happened yesterday in my house. I got a call two days ago. I got a call before Shabbat actually from a very stark of Frum, Frum family. And they have an, a 20-year-old daughter and she doesn't want to go out with a guy that's learning. She only wants to go out with a working boy and she has questions. She has questions. So, I don't know how they got to me. They called me up and they said, she'll only, she wants to talk to you, Rabbi Wallerstein, because she has a lot of questions. And she heard that you deal with kids with questions. I'm like, okay. I have to meet her. I don't do this on the phone. Like, what should we tell her? I don't tell her. I have to meet her cause, because it's, it's ridiculous if you don't meet the patient. Someone calls you up, my kid has a rash. Could be poison ivy. Could be allergic to strawberries. Could be strep. Could be a lot of things. You've got to see. You know, the parents come in to, to see the doctor when the kid is sick. That doesn't work. The, the doctor's like, I need to see your kid. I know, but we're here. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with you? Like, I can't. It's, you, you, you two are very healthy. Like, what should I do with you? I got to see the kid, right? So I'm very into never give, never give advice on the phone. Because I have learned that when parents thought something, and then I found out that the kid was traumatized and abused, and we would have been very tough on her. And meanwhile, when she was eight years old, she went through who knows what. And you got to know, you got to talk to the kid, because many times we don't really know what's going on. So yesterday, this girl shows up in my house. She's 20 years old. And she sits down, and I said, so what's going on? She goes, I have, a, I have a bunch of questions. I'm like, okay, what's your first question? She says, I have a problem. I said, what's your problem? There's so much pain in the world. I, I can't believe Hashem, you know, created this world for, for the good. Because there's so many people that are suffering. It's a good question, right? A lot of questions. That's Tzadik Varaloi. That's a good question. I said, before I answer your question, I want to ask you a few questions. Questions for questions. My turn? She goes, okay, your turn. I'm like, you watch movies? She looks at me, I'm like, she goes, yeah. I'm like, like, worse than like, not such good movies, like not Disney movies? She goes, yeah. It's a very from home, and a, supposedly a very from girl. I said, do you listen to non-Jewish music? Like rap and stuff like that. She goes, yeah. She goes, now you asked two. I only asked one. I'm like, no, i got to finish. you got to let me finish. You're a smart girl. you let me finish. I'm like, you talk to boys? Online. 
I'm like, you don't have any questions. She goes, what do you mean? I'm like, you have two choices. If there's a God, you're a bad girl. You're not doing what he wants. If there's no God, you can do whatever you want. <coughs> Nobody wants to be a bad girl. Who wants to be a bad person? So if you weren't watching movies and talking to boys and listening to God's music and watching things you shouldn't watch, God would be in your life. But you can't have God in your life. Why? Because if God's in your life, then, then you're not doing the right thing. and You don't want to walk around like that. So your questions are your answers to your behavior. They're not questions. You don't really want an answer. I said, because if you really want an answer, you wouldn't come to Abu Wallstein. You'd go and buy Ochat Sadiqim. You'd buy a hundred different Musas Farum and Farum on Amuna, right? And uh, the Garden of Amuna, whatever you need to buy, whatever, whatever, whatever you're into. And then you go through all of that. And then if you still have a question, you call me up. But you didn't go through anything. Did you learn anything? So you don't really have a question. You have an excuse. So she looks at me. I'm like, but I'm going to be a nice guy. I'm going to answer your question. You're asking a question, and it's a question that Hashem didn't even answer to Moshe Rabbeinu, but I'm going to give you an answer. I said, why, why is there so much suffering? I said, you have two choices. If there's no God, what are you upset about? It's just random. People suffer because bad luck. There's no God. So there's no, nothing has a reason. So some people are born under the right star. Some people are born under the... What are you angry about? There's no God. There's no one to be angry about. It's randomness. Theory of randomness. So if this theory of randomness is true, you should be like, it's just too bad. Like, people have luck and people don't have luck. I said, but if there is a God, if there is a God, where well, I believe there is a God, so I don't believe that he would ever give pain for no reason. Because if he's God... And he gives pain for no reason. He's not God. If he's God, that means that everything has a reason. So, if there is a God, which I believe there is, that means I believe that everything is Ashkocha practice. And if someone's in pain, there's a reason. And if I think for a moment that he's just playing around with people, and he's just giving people pain for no reason, then he's not God. Not my God, because that's not what my God does. So I'm like, either way... I don't, I don't hear your problem. If there's no God, so what, 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 why does it bother you? It's just luck. If there is a God, then he was definitely would never give someone pain for no reason, because he's giving someone pain for a reason. If he's giving pain, someone pain for a reason, what am I upset about? I said, either way, look at it, you shouldn't be upset. And she looked at me and she's like, could you repeat that? <laughs> and I did. And I repeated it. And that's the truth. If the pain is for no reason, he's not God. There's no one in this room believes that our God gets pain because he sense of humor or he likes to watch someone suffer. That's not Hashem. So if that's what if that's what this is about, then there's no God. If there's no God, then it's just okay. Who am I angry about? Who am I angry at? I got no one to be angry about. Be angry at the at the moon and the star that I was born under. If I even believe that there's a mazel or no mazel. So at the end of the day, what are you upset about? I said sheifulah. You need to clean up your act. You need to work on your stuff. You need to work on your why. Your why? And then we got into why, why would a from girl end up, I'm not going to discuss that here, but why would a from girl end up in the place that she is and not wanting to marry a guy who's sitting and learning specifically because she, she's angry at that world? And I'm not going to get it. It's not, it's not important. But I got to the why. And once then she got up, she left. She was the happiest person in the world. She was like, thank you very much. You know what? You're 100% right. 
I really didn't have questions. I always knew there wasn't Hashem, but I wasn't happy with what I was doing, so I had to get rid of them. So you got to fix the why, everybody. When someone's sliding, when someone's in your class and you're a Rebbe, and he's not doing well, don't jump on him. Find out why. Why aren't you doing well? Why are you in this situation? And this is from the Rabbeinu. This is from the Rebbe of all Rebbe's. He saw a fire. It didn't make sense. He didn't say, wow, amazing. He said, madua. Now listen to Akadosh Baruch Hu's reaction. Akadosh Baruch Hu's reaction to someone who stops, looks, and says, why? Vayar Hashem ki it's the Pasuk. Hashem saw that Moshe Rabbeinu stopped and he looked. The first time that Hashem ever spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu was here. And the reason he spoke to him, says the Pasuk, was because you are my leader, because you didn't just walk by and say, Chazid, Nebuch, you said, stop. I'm not going anywhere until I understand the why. The what? Everyone saw the what. The bush was burning. That's the what. Why is the bush burning? Hashem saw that he stopped and he looked. Then, Moshe Moshe. He called him with a lot of love when you say the name twice. Avram, Avram, Moshe, Moshe. He said, Behold, I'm here. And we all know that what was the why? What was the why? Why was it a thorn bush? Why was it a thorn bush? Why, was it, why wasn't it burning? So the Kosh was showing him that, we're going, that Klai Yisrael's life is going to be in a thorn bush, that we're going to go through Gullus and Saras, but you need to know something, Moshe Rabbeinu, that just like this bush is burning, but it's not being destroyed. And the Jews will go through burning, burning in the Holocaust, burning in the Crusades, burning in the Spanish Inquisition, burning in the, in the two base Hamidish that we had. We're going to go through a lot of burning, burning that we're going through right now, Klai Yisrael, and all the stuff that we're going through. He said, but Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, Moshe, listen to me. Klai Yisrael may be burning, but the bush, loy uchal. Nobody can eat them. Nobody can destroy them. That was the why. Why a bush and a fire? No one else knew why. Moshe Rabbeinu stopped and he asked why. And that's when Hashem spoke to him. That's the people that God speaks to. The ones in Klai Yisrael that don't just keep going when they see stuff. Oh, you made so many... The crisis, oh, that word, crisis. Shit of crisis, so what'd you do about it? <laughs> what'd you do about it? Shit of crisis, so what'd you do about it? Kids of the Dara crisis, what'd you do about it? Drug crisis, what'd you do about it? Oh, we talk about it after shul, after down, I hope not in shul. Crisis, crisis, crisis. Kids are drinking, kids are drugging, kids are committing suicide, crisis, what'd you do about it? So you're the guys that walk by, past the bush and say, woo, interesting. Never, it's long, what'd you do about it? Want to be a leader? You want Hashem to call you twice your name? Moshe, Moshe? Want to have a relation with the Kodesh Baruch Hu? The ones that stop and look and say, Madua. In fact, he did this before he ever went to the Midbar. It seems to be that it was in Moshe Rabbeinu's blood. When he came out, when he came out of the, of the palace, and he killed the Mitzri, he says the following. They told him who made you a leader. Moshe became very scared. Uh-oh. If these two Jews know about it, everyone's going to know about it. Zot Rashi, Pasuk Yodalit. People don't know this Rashi. 
He says the following: Achein noida hadava. Midrasha, the Midrash says, noida li hadava shayisi tama ilav. He said, I, I was in shock. I was wondering. Listen to what he said. This is before. This is when he walked out of the palace. Ma chato Yisrael mikol ayin umayis miyos near the mavoy the parach. What did the Jews do? It bothered him. What sin did the Jews do that of all 70 nations, they are working so hard? And he answered, Now I know why. They speak Lashon Hara. That's what he said. Now I, I was always asking, why am, I, why am I brethren? Why are they going through this? I don't understand. Why are they suffering? He asked Madua when he was already just a young person. He said, why are they suffering? Now after they spoke Lashon Hara and they told Paro what he did, he said, Now I know why they're suffering. It's unbelievable on, 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 on what Lashon Hara, the power of Lashon Hara. What Rabbeinu said that the whole Avdus, he said, I understand the whole Avdus of Mitzrayim because they're about Lashon Hara. And when Hashem went in the Midbar and said, I want you to go back to Mitzrayim, he said, I don't want to go back to Mitzrayim. They all talk Lashon Hara. So it was before the Chavetz Chaim. So before the whole Lashon Hara, you know, started the whole thing. You know, my friend Rothschild started the whole movement on Lashon Hara. You see that, that Moshe Rabbeinu was asking a question. Why? Why are they suffering? But way before Moshe Rabbeinu, even bigger, even bigger. What does it take to save the world? What does it take to save the world? This is what it takes to save the world. Yosef HaTzadik sold, first thrown into a, into a dungeon, they try to kill him. Sold him to Mitzrayim. Potiphar actually, Rashi says, was on the other side of the track, so to say. So he bought Yosef to be his boy. Okay, that's why he bought Yosef to be physically with Yosef, says Rashi, for Mishkav Zachar. And the reason he didn't act on it was because he saw that he was in Ishmat Sliach and that he was close to Akash Baruch Hu. So he didn't want to mess with Yosef Atzadik. And the reason he saw that Yosef Atzadik was in Ishmat Sliach and close to Akash Baruch Hu was because Yosef Atzadik used to walk around all the time and say Baruch Hashem and Mitzvah Hashem. And he saw that he's very, very Matzliach and he's very close to God. He's like, I'm not, I'm not touching him. I'm, I'm leaving him alone. So he never, he never acted. But you have to understand that's, that's what Yosef Atzadik was bought. That's what he was bought for. And then Yosef Atzadik fights off his wife, who the Chidot says was the most beautiful woman ever created, to Yetzirah to, to take Yosef down. And he fights her off, and you would think, you would think, like a kid, like, like you put him in a room, and he, and he was able to walk out on this huge Avera, because Bokhu was going to take him straight to Ganeid, and then he's going to be the Rosh Hashim and the Gal Hadar, and what's his reward for running, for doing what he did? He gets thrown into a dungeon. <laughs> Talk about Saudi Baral, like whatever he did, he got punished for it. Anytime he did do something good, he got punished for it. So he's, he's, in this, he's in this dungeon, his brothers will never find him, you can't even imagine what an Egyptian dungeon is. Right? He's in the worst, lowest place with the lowest, with killers and rapists and murderers and robbers. And who's in, a, who's in a Mitzrayim dungeon? That's who he's with. He should be in the corner saying to him the whole day. His brothers will never find him. Nobody will ever find him. He will die there. And what is Yosef Atzavik doing? Yosef making his rounds in the morning. Bayar Aisam, he sees these two Mitrim who he doesn't know. They're depressed. They're in a bad place. Who cares? Who cares? You care? Two Egyptians in the dungeon? You're worried about what they look like? You, 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 you're going to die down there. You're going to rot. Wait. Vayishal is And he asks them. 
Madua. I see. I, the what is the depressed. The what is the depressed, right? The what is Pinechim Roim Hayoyim. You got you got a bad face on there. You don't look good, right? But he asks them, Madua Pinechim Roim Hayoyim. What's going on, guys? Why today you look so depressed? Because they didn't look the days before. They didn't have the dream of the days before. So he's seen them before. He has seen them before. He's asking them today. Look at the pasuk. Why today are you depressed? So that means he looked at them every day. Because if he didn't look at them every day, then he would, he would think maybe yesterday they were like this. Maybe they're just depressed guys. Right? Maybe they didn't take their medication. I don't know. Right? Maybe that's why they're depressed. But no, he says today, which means that I'm looking at the people and seeing how they look, and today something's wrong. And because he asked this question, they told him they had a dream. He translated the dream. He got out of that. He translated Paro's dream. He translated seven good years and seven bad years. He ended up saving the whole world. Would have starved. He saved the whole world. What did he do? Was he a gadol in chesed? Was he, did he know shaspal per? What did he do? You know what he did? He asked two low goyim, nobodies, why are you depressed? When I, I heard this shit from a, from a rub, I, I, it blew me out the door. You think, you think, if you ask someone, what does it take to save the world? You'd be like, to heal him, fasting, or learning, I don't know, whatever, a kinis, a shas. He's like, no, it takes asking two goyim, what's, what's your problem? What's wrong? He's like, what? What are you talking about? He said, yeah, you'll save. I'm like, what? Not do I. Just ask him why. Not the what. The what is they're depressed. Okay, they were, they're depressed. No, you got to get to the why. Everyone's busy with the what. Not everyone's even busy with the what. Because there's a kid in your class and he's not doing well. There's a why. If there's a, there's a, I have what's called a graph. People come to me and they're like, my daughter, my daughter was doing, she's a hundred student and then she, 10th grade, all of a sudden she just stopped learning and she used to have a lot of friends and now she's in her room she doesn't come out of her room. She said, Mom, it's changed. I don't know what you do. Therapy and medicine and I don't know what we're going to do with her. And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's do the graph. Good girl, good girl, good girl, good girl. Everything's beautiful. Boom. Circle. Where she went, boom. Tenth grade, where'd you go to camp? Where'd you go to camp? I said, yeah, when she came back from camp in tenth grade, is that when it started? Yeah. I said, let me talk to her. Uh, sat with her. She was abused in camp by another girl. Not, you, don't just, you don't just wake up and go from an Aleph student to a Dalit student, from someone who's out there and all of a sudden you're in your room and you're not coming out. That's the what. That's not what's going on. You don't just go on a graph, boom. Something happened right here. And if we don't fix what happened right here, it's going to keep going down. And you may get it back up a little bit, but if you don't fix what you went through, you don't fix what happened, they're just going to, they're just going to, they're going to relapse. And the relapse rate is 90%. In drug rehab, the 30-day program, relapse rate is 90%. What an amazing business. They're coming back. So, and then they come back, and then they come back. And what's the success rate? How much time between relapses? So the first time was two weeks, the next time is five weeks, the next time is six months, the next time is a year. So, so we're getting somewhere. But everybody relapses if you don't take care of the why. Everybody relapses if you don't take care of the why. Because the disease is still there. So right now I'm not itching because I put calamine lotion on, but the strep is doing its thing. It's doing its thing. It's in there. It's hurting. It's doing what it. What it you got to get that out. You got to get the bacteria out. You got to fix the bacteria. <coughs> fix the bacteria. 
All the what's go away. And, and that's it's a big problem because everyone's busy with the what's and they're not busy with the why. Fix the why, it's all gone. Same thing in a marriage. Same thing in a marriage. All these symptoms in the marriage that are not working, get to the why. I'm always like, did you ever have a good marriage? It's my first question. Did you guys ever like each other? Like, did you have, did you have a good week or two? And if the answer is no, from the day I was under the chuppah, I don't like this person, I'm like, then you should get divorced. I can't help you. Because I don't, I don't have, I don't have a why. You just never liked her. Like, not, it's not like you were doing well and something happened in the marriage and there's a loss of trust and we can work on trust and if there's a loss in certain things, on time, spending together, we can work on all that. I can work on all that. But if you never liked each other, if there's no point of return, there's nowhere to go. You didn't want to marry her, but your parents forced you to marry her. You didn't like her or she didn't like you from day one. Where am I going? How am I going to fix this? I don't have a why. The why is you don't like her. So I'm going to fix that. Okay, maybe that could be fixable. If, if you're really like a superstar, you can get them somehow to start dating or whatever it is. But if you give me just a good day, there's a good day, then there's a why. There is no good day now. If you had a good day, then there's a why. Why is not a good day the next day? But if it was never a good day, I don't have a why. It never started. Well, Hashem, one in, a, one in a thousand never had a good day. I've had one that just, they just never had a good day and just don't like each other. What am I going to do? I have nowhere to go. I have no why. Okay, so I want to end the Neuridic story. My father, Allah Shalom, so I, I was always looking that he was, he was a very big mechanic for his children. And I figured that before he dies, he would write a will. Like what he wants us to do. I know what he wants me to do. But I, I really, just that connection that you could keep reading, you know, a letter to his children. But it didn't happen. Because his amun and Akash Baruch was that he wouldn't die. So why should he write a letter? We always told, you know, people used to tell him, you know, did you buy a kevar? He says, that's anti-amunah. No, it's a, it's a what's it called, that you're going to live long. A school that you're going to live long. No, it's a school that your kids won't have to buy. That's all it is. <laughs> that's, that's the school. But, you know, he said, what do you mean? I, I don't believe Mashiach. I believe Mashiach. I'm not, I'm not telling anyone what to do. It was my father. His Muna was not normal. And he was like, if I buy Kevra, I'm telling Hashem I'm going to die. I don't believe I don't believe I'm going to die. I believe Mashiach's going to be in the next second. So that, that was his thing. You know, people have, he said people have had stuff packed up for Mashiach. Uh, there was a Kayan in Washington Heights that had a nail that was extremely long, um, which is not really yet because the nails are not extremely long. And and the reason it was, he was a Kayan, and he said, it's going to, Michelle's going to come, you have to do Malika, and all the other Kahanim is going to take them months to grow the nail. I want to have it right away. So those people that live in that world, they're not buying a kever. Like, what are you kever for? Like, why waste the money? Right? So that was that's where he came from. So he never wrote a will because he wasn't going to die. But what he did do is that many, many years ago, before all the Swarim used to come out, the Sefer that came out, that had the most stories was the Ma'am Layers. So from when the Ma'am Layers came out, we learned it every Shabbos. And what he did is, before Shabbos, he would sit and he didn't work, he would sit and learn, and he would underline in the Ma'am Layers what was like very meaningful for him. So when I got his Ma'am Layers, I actually had my, I got the will. Because everything that was underlined was a message, was a message to us. So I want to read you fast a story that he underlined that was one of his favorite stories that he used to say all the time um, before Shabbos. It's an amazing story, and it's very connected to the why. So the story goes like this. My Sahaya, if you want to look it up, it's in, it's the last, I believe the last Ma'amalaya is in Bamidbar. Bamidbar Dalit Pasukhaf. It says the following. It says that there was a big Tamachacham, a Chassid, a Tzadik. He wanted to know from Hashem, Shagilaloi, Mi Yiyeh Chaveru Ba'ilam Haba. Who's going to be his Chavusa? 
in the next world. So, this Chosid sat in many tinies, many tinies, and he davened tefillahs with tachnunim, until one night they came to him in a dream, and they said that who's going to be your chabrusa? This and this butcher. Cuts the plane this butcher. He wakes up, and he was in a lot of pain. He said, a butcher, I'm aretz. Is going to be who I'm going to live with in the next world. So he again fasted and he again davened. And again they came to him in a dream and they told him, the butcher, Bacha Bechi Gadol, started crying, so much pain, couldn't handle it. So that night he went back to sleep and the Malach in his dream came to him and said, You should know that you're really Chayav Nisa because you're, you're crying about this butcher. And if you knew who this butcher was, you wouldn't be crying about it. But because you're such a tzaddik and you're my simtaivim, we're going to let you live. When the Tavachachim heard this, he said, that's pretty serious. Let me go Let me go meet the butcher. So, he goes the next day, he comes to the store of the butcher, and he says, Mama Secha, what, what, what do you do good? He said, I, I, I'm very honest. My, my scales are very honest. And I give the poor people the same meat, chosen meat that I give the rich people. And whenever I make money, half of it goes to tzedakah. Chassid said, very nice, shvach gadol, but there's got to be something more. So it's a little bit hard. I remember when I asked my father, like, like he's a big shot. In other words, you think you're such a big tzaddik that that's not enough, right? Whereas Mashma, that he was very mocked in, in who he's going to live with in the next world. So it bothered him. He says, is there anything else you ever did in your life? He says, yeah, there's one thing. He says, I was sitting in my store and a, a band of Goyim came by and they had many captives among them. They were robbers. And there was a girl, listen carefully, there was a girl sitting there and she was crying. So the butcher said, I went over, Biti, my daughter, he said, Lama, why? Why are you crying so much? Everyone's a captive. Why are you crying so much? Armalee, the girl said, you should know that I'm a Bas Yisrael and they're taking me in to sell me and who knows who they're going to sell me to and I'm not going to be able to live as a Jew and I wish that a Jew would be paid to me, would redeem me. Gishamati Devarel, he says, the butcher, when I heard her, Nishbalibi, my heart broke and I said, okay. He said, I put together all my money, more than I could, Upadisi Oisabiyadam and I, I ransomed her. Devisi Lebesi, I brought her home and she was 12 years old. Gedalti Oysa, I brought her up in my house because she was older. He said, I had Ben Yachid, I had a son, and he was 21 years old. So I called my son, and I said the following. I want you to do what I'm going to ask you to do. Please fulfill, sounds like Esther in front of Akashverosh, right? Fill my questions. I promise you, my son, if you do this, you'll be rich here, and you'll be rich in the next world. I'm Ali Bani. I, it's, it's a little bit, a little, the generation's changed a bit. Listen to what the kid says to his father. The chayfet slave, with the love of my heart, whatever you tell me, I'll do. Whatever you, whatever you want, tati, whatever you ask me to. I'm alone. My, my, my beautiful son, my precious son. I want you to marry this girl. So she has, she has no yichus. We don't know who she is. She's just a, a person that was bought, right? And he's asking her son, like, who's in the Shidduch market, who could get any girl. Uh, I want you to marry someone, no in-laws, no father, no mother. I don't know where she comes from. 
no yichus. But the father says, I need I'll give you beautiful clothing, whatever you want. My son said, Whatever you want, Tati. I will do whatever you want. The butcher says, I was very happy. I made beautiful clothing, everything that he wanted. I made it, I made hachanas for the wedding. I invited to the wedding the whole city, the poor people, the rich people, everybody. And I put the poor people together with the rich people. So this, this butcher is not Stamma Butcher. But Samtiyal Shukhan and I put in front of the Aniyam all the good food, and they ate, and they drank, everybody was happy. He says, I came to one table, and they weren't eating. So he asked again, second time, Achi, Lama, why? Why aren't you eating? Is there something wrong with my food? I'm all like, no, there's nothing wrong with your food, but we never had better food. Everything's good. This poor man sitting here, he's crying like crazy. We can't eat. He just took away our appetite. He's just crying and crying. We can't. We have no cheshit. He says, when I heard that, I, I, went, I took the poor person in my hand and I walked about and I said, my son, who was a young boy, he said, what, what, why are you breaking my simcha here? Why are you crying like this? What's your tzara? Do you owe money? He says, if you owe money, I'll lend you the money. I'll pay for it. But I want you to be happy. He said, no. I don't owe any money. He says, I'm crying because the girl... This girl that you that's marrying your son, she was supposed to marry me, and we were our parents already made a deal that we were going to get married, and then they kidnapped her, and he takes out a star, right, a star from his parents that they there wasn't real Arison, but that they were they were for each other. So he's got a problem now. His son and all the chaver they're all coming to this wedding, and everything's prepared, and his son and his friends, and everybody's out. Right? And now this guy shows up crying. She's really mine, but she's not yours. I, I adopted her. I took care of her. Have a nice day. Go find another girl. Right? That's not what he said. So, he told his other boy, don't be, don't be upset. You'll be happy. The cow is yours. Karasi with me. He calls his son. And he tells him in secret, my beautiful child, please do my will. And I told you to take this girl, and now I need a bigger favor from you. Please don't argue with me. My son said to me, when you ask me to marry her, I'm not going to argue with you whatever you want to ask me. And he said, I'm really sorry, son, but there's another guy who she was supposed to marry. And I just found that out. Imkain, Hakala, is not for you. So the son says, he says, I need Emsa Lachakala Acheres, I'll find you another girl, Taiva, better from her. Whatever you say, Tom, I'll do whatever you want. When Asati La'ani says the butcher, and I gave to this poor boy everything the band, the music, the flowers, and I took the clothing off my son, and I gave it to the husband. And I made all Shevra brachas, and I bought them a house. That's what he says. In the end, in the end, he said, Thank you for making me happy, and I am the richest person to have you as a chaver. And he ends, says, We should all have a chalik in the next world with such Jews. 
Yiratzen v'nisfi l'chayolam haba amen for Yiratzen. My point at 12 o'clock on the minute. <laughs> My point is, what happened here? He saw a girl crying. Of course she's crying. She's a captive. He asked her, why? My dua. She told him she was a Jew. He would have never known that she was a Jew. Then he saw an Ani sitting by his party and crying. And he said, why? I'll give you money, whatever you need. Why are you crying? Not like, get him out of my wedding over here, or, you know, give him $20. He sat down, he took him out, and he said, Shefala, why are you crying? There's a why, not a what. The what is your crying. The what is she's crying. The what later on is your crying. But I don't realize that the two whys should be together, because her why, she was a captive. And his why is that that's the girl. So because he asked why, he was able to put them back together. No ridiculous stories. My father has this underline to show you what a person. Imagine we can't even imagine. I can't even imagine my my my, my son is at the chuppah ready to walk down with my wife. We spent all this money on flowers and 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 and, and the food and the band and which band and which flowers everything that. And my son all this chaver from yeshiva. There's eighty guys there, right? And he's like ready to get married and she's beautiful and he's in love with her and everything. And I walk into the chuppah into the into the chuppah room before and I'm like. It's over. It's off. What? My wife's like, what? My son's like, what? What are you saying, Tom? Like, there's another guy. I don't care there's another guy. No, but there's another guy they made up many years ago that they were going to get married. Take off your jacket. Take off your shoes. Take off your tie. He happens to be the same size. (laughs) And you, my son, dance at this guy's wedding who's marrying your kala. <laughs> you know why my father underlined this? Because he was telling his children, yes, you could reach that level. You could reach that level. And then, Shara Brachas, and then buy him a house. If you have the money. You could reach that level. Why? Because if you ask why, you could be Yosef HaTzadik and save the world. Asking why are two guys like that? If you ask why a bush is burning and it's not burning, it's Moshe, Moshe, Vayome, Hineni, Hineni. You can be a butcher. If you ask a child why are you crying, you can save two people that are supposed to be married to each other. Just forget the what. Focus on the why. And if you focus on the why, you can save the world, you can be the leader of Israel, and you can make a chassan and kala happy. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.